from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Joe Torres. We're going to begin tonight with the exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Let's get right to us. Meteorologist Jeff Smith. Jeff. Yeah, Joe, kind of a chilly day out there, but it was bearable. We had very light wind and a lot of sunshine. I mean, not a cloud in the sky today or yesterday. 34 right now in the park. Temperature is pretty uniform right now in the lower to middle 30s. You see the wind now starting to turn into more of an onshore flow, and that will get a little bit more in the way of cloud cover in here at times during the day tomorrow. 34 right now. Now at Newburgh, you're down to the freezing market, Sussex and on the island at Islip, even below freezing down the shore at Belmar. So here you go. The bottom line looking like this a bit milder tomorrow, despite the fact that we do have a few more clouds out there. I think we'll get numbers up to seasonable levels, which is uh, lower to middle 40s for this time of the year. A few degrees warmer than today. Shower can't be ruled out late Thursday, north and west of New York City. I think for the vast majority of us, uh, the daylight hours of Thursday will stay on the dry side. We'll just have increasing amounts of cloud cover, but then rain does move in for the rest of us for Thursday night and into the day on Friday before a colder wind returns this weekend. Saturday is going to be pretty darn cold, but a rapid recovery in temperature as we head into next week. 29 for a low tonight in the city. Teens in your normally colder spots north and west. Like I said, up into the 40s during the day tomorrow, despite the fact that we do have a little bit more in the way of cloud cover. Again, those rain chances going up in a big way by Friday and temperatures going up in a big way. Wait until you see some of these numbers in your AccuWeather seven-day forecast as we head toward next week. We'll have that coming up a little bit later in the half hour. Joe. All right, we'll see you then. Thank you. Yeah. The suspect in a Soho hotel stabbing death is under arrest this evening in Arizona, accused of several other stabbings. Police say 23-year-old Rod Almansuri is held without bail in Phoenix. Investigators accuse him of stabbing two women and attempting to steal a car from one of the victims. Officers arrested Almansuri after they spotted him in a stolen car. He apparently told police he was wanted for a homicide in New York City and told them to Google Soho 54 Hotel. We are currently working with our partners in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office to arrange extradition back to New York City. We are also working with the FBI and their Violent Criminal Apprehension Program to explore the possibility of discovering additional victims as the subject told Arizona cops that he hurt three additional girls in Florida. No word just yet on when Almansori will be extradited to New York for the murder of 38-year-old Denise Oleas Arancibia. Police say he has prior arrests, including one for kidnapping and sexually assaulting a woman in Florida in 2023. Just how did unauthorized body cam video of a deadly police shooting, in police-involved shooting, get released? On social media, well, the Suffolk County Police Internal Affairs Bureau is now looking into that very question. We warn you, this may be hard to watch. Authorities say cops shot Tyquell Woodson after he stabbed an officer several times with a large knife. It happened this weekend in Bayshore. Officers responded to a 911 call at a home. One officer used a taser on Woodson. They say when that didn't stop him, another officer shot him. He was pronounced dead at the hospital. Doctors expect the stabbed officer to recover.
Prosecutors charged a New York City school employee with sexually abusing a child. That suspect pleaded not guilty this morning. 25-year-old Miles McNeil of Yonkers remains in custody. The NYPD says McNeil was an employee contracted through the Department of Education. Investigators say he sexually assaulted an eight-year-old girl at an after-school program in Harlem. They believe there could be more victims. District leaders also removed the principal and parent coordinator. Two men now charged with murder in connection with that deadly shooting after the Super Bowl parade in Kansas City. Investigators say Dominic Miller and Lindell Mays began arguing as the parade ended. The argument quickly escalated and police say the two men started firing at one another. The gunfire killed a bystander and injured 22 other people. Prosecutors say more arrests are possible in the coming days. The United States called for a temporary halt in fighting in Gaza and then vetoed a U.N. resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire. The ceasefire proposal was backed by Arab nations and introduced by Algeria this morning. The only country out of the 15-member council to vote against the measure was the United States. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N. argued a ceasefire without requiring Hamas to release hostages would not lead to a lasting peace in the region. This is the third time since the October 7th attacks the U.S. has used its veto power. As we enter the last full week of our coverage of Black History Month, an important conversation with the Reverend Al Sharpton. Sharpton began preaching when he was just four years old, and he was a civil rights activist by the time he was a young teenager. Eyewitness News anchor Bill Ritter sat down with Sharpton, and they covered a lot of ground. Can you say what the state of play is when it comes to civil rights, especially as we talk about Black History Month? I think that we are in a very precarious state. And I think things have happened of late so quickly that we don't even realize the like peril that we're in. We have, in the last year, lost affirmative action by the Supreme Court. They've chipped away Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. They've taken away women's right to choose, all within the last year to 18 months. And I think people don't realize the impact of that. Because out of losing affirmative action, you now have a proactive movement in DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So if you take away a lot of the meat of the Voting Rights Act, you take away affirmative action and DEI, which is the economic parts Dr. King and others in the 60s fought for, you have in effect neutralized a lot of the gains of the civil rights movement 50 years ago. So if we go back... 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 50 years. Right. If that had happened when you were a young man, would you have not seen that back then or would you have done something right away? There's a climate now in the country of us against them to people don't even understand the ramifications of that because the, the, the politics of now is so different. For example, when I was a younger man and we would march, rally, you had people that would compete or argue with you on who was being more inclusive and right. You now have a climate where Donald Trump and them are saying, yes, we are ending uh, in inclusion. Yes, we, we think it's wrong to say that we're gonna do this, that, or the other. So I think that the polarizing of the country has made the efforts of now different because now 
you're facing people that have no problem telling women, I intend for you to have no right to choose. And telling blacks and Latinos and Asians, yeah, it doesn't matter to us if there's none in a school or in a job. And that's a different kind of climate than we had uh, when I was a kid. We're not focusing on what the ramifications were and how they were won, how they got there. We talk about inventors, and we should. We talk about great artists, and we should. We talk about Martin Luther King and others, but we don't talk about how Martin Luther King's house was bombed four times, and that he was stabbed, and that he was indicted for income tax. He went through all of that to become this Nobel laureate. I think that we've given a rosy picture of what brought us to where we got to. So if you go from Martin Luther King to Barack Obama and don't go through the struggles in between, you would think that was just an election. Of course, we had a black president and he was reelected and we have a black female vice president and not understanding the pain that went through for that game. And it's going to take continued pain to maintain that. Do you worry, Reverend, uh, that many young black people are just not going to vote in this next election? I worry that we won't tell them why they should vote. If they have the information, I think they will come out. Right now, I'm concerned that they are not getting the right messaging. You also changed your life with the advice of the widow of Dr. Martin Luther King. After a few encounters, she would start talking to me in an advisory way. But she had this very regal bearing, and she had this way of talking without looking like she was reprimanding you until you, it's almost like somebody hits you and you don't realize it until you get down the block. And she said to me, Al, let me ask you a question. I said, yes, Ms. King, because I'm honored she's talking to me. Like, we were at an event for Nash Action Network, and we were in the waiting room before I brought out. She says, you said ABCD. She said, why would you use that language? I said, well, you got to understand, I didn't come out of the South, you know, and we, we talk like that in the streets up here. She says, but don't you understand words have power? and that you could ignite something that you don't intend and people can use it against you? Just, just think about that. And the way she said it is almost like hitting me and then patting me down to soothe me. This is Martin Luther King's wife. And I'm saying, yeah, this isn't somebody at a tabloid criticizing me. She's understanding what I'm saying and saying, you're better than that. And you can watch the full, complete, and comprehensive conversation with Reverend Sharpton on our website and our streaming platforms. Stay with Eyewitness News as we celebrate Black History Month. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, how the daughter of Venezuelan immigrants is setting out to change the perception of most of the new migrants who've entered our area. Plus, the surprising top travel destinations for this spring break. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. If you've watched the news, you know there have been several recent acts of violence by newly arrived migrants in New York City. A group of migrants assaulted several police officers in Times Square. A 15-year-old migrant fired several shots inside a Times Square store and at the police officers as they tried to capture him. The city also announced a curfew for many migrant shelters to try and curtail the crime. While some immigrant advocates believe the recent crimes create a false sense of chaos and insecurity that threatens law-abiding migrants.
Overall, the latest numbers show the New York City shelter system has now housed almost 174,000 migrants since the crisis began two years ago. The number of those migrants arrested in the city is very small, very small percentage compared to the number who arrived here. Well, on this week's edition of Tiempo, I spoke with Liz Alarcón, the daughter of Venezuelan immigrants. She's also the founder and executive director of Pulso, a nonprofit media startup company. And she explained why these arrests do not represent the widespread migrant community. Venezuelans are totally and absolutely contributing to the fabric and the culture of our communities and of this country. You can't go to any borough in New York without finding una arepera or turn on our mainstream entertainment and seeing people like Lele Pons competing and dancing with the stars, a daughter of Venezuelan immigrants herself. And when we think of the scope of the exodus of Venezuelans out of the country, it's really unprecedented in the Western Hemisphere. There's 8 million people who have left, nearly 800,000 of them here in the United States, and less than 1% uh, committing uh, the crimes that have gone viral in the last several days. Now, let me be clear, the actions of a specific few do not represent the community overall, and we're in the country of the rule of law, so anyone who commits any or any sort of crime should absolutely face the consequences, right? That's part of, of why so many people, including Venezuelans, come here to have mm -hmm. that protection. So uh, it absolutely it should be a reminder to all of us that the actions of few do not represent all of us, especially here in the country of immigrants. But Liz, if a few crimes committed by very few migrants is enough to convince some people that many migrants are, in fact, criminals, how do you reverse that way of thinking? One, reminding our communities with spaces like this of the contributions that we all make, and two, also uh, heeding the asks of immigrant advocates over two decades under both Republican and Democratic administrations. It really is time for an overhaul in our immigration system to make sure that this country is doing right by the people who are already here and by those who are seeking their human right to uh, have a immigration process and seek asylum here as well. It's so overdue that we have better coordination between our local leaders and our state leaders and our federal leaders to increase the not just transparency but efficiency of the processing mm -hmm. of folks so that we can get more relief in our cities and remind folks of the contributions again of immigrants. Look, my cousin uh, from Venezuela is a perfect example. She's here under the TPS for Venezuela program, studying to be a dental hygienist. Those are the stories uh, that we need to continue to share of, of what is possible when our processes do work and are implemented. Liz, let me ask you, because it, it, I, I'm with you that that thinking is, is a narrow-minded, regressive, sort of superficial approach that people have. But I think it applies in so many areas, regretfully, that we've seen. I'm a reporter. Fake news. You're a reporter. All reporters are fake news. Uh, mayors are corrupt in a couple of small towns. Therefore, all mayors are corrupt. Politics, you see this polarization. Do you see it now leaching into the way we see migrants because of what's been happening in the world all around us? Absolutely, Joe. And I think as a media founder myself and as someone who spends a lot of time on social media, it's uh, really 
uh, unprecedented how negative narratives uh, are much mm -hmm. more attractive and appealing than the positive narratives that uh, we have the responsibility to share. So I think a lot about values and how we can do a better job at reminding everyone here in our country our American values, right, yeah. of solidarity and community and empathy and equity and highlighting uh, those stories and how immigrants are a part of, of those American values as well. Yeah. I think we all need to do a better job at, at spreading the word on the positive, too. It was a fascinating talk for the rest of our conversation with Liz Alarcón. You can watch Tiempo this Sunday morning at 1130 at abc7ny.com or any of our streaming platforms. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, how a cool natural phenomena is changing the hottest travel destinations this spring break. Air travel is flying high in 2024. The upcoming spring break season will be no exception, but sold out flights to some destinations may surprise passengers. Karen Kafa joins us to explain why some cities, you might say, eclipse others, Karen. Hey there, Joe. You know, you think of those beach destinations when you think of spring break, but this year you can add a few unexpected cities to the spring break roster and wherever you are headed, you want to act quickly for the best fares. Americans are ready for spring and a break. People are ready to take advantage of school closures and get out of cold climates and go find some warmth. In addition to sun and fun, Christy Hudson of Expedia says they've found different destinations trending for spring 2024. Not only are people headed to the kind of typical spring break destinations, but there's also a major event happening during the spring break window. A total solar eclipse is set to cross North America on April 8th, and U.S. cities within the path of totality like Dallas, Indianapolis, even Cleveland expect to boost during a busy time. That is the busiest and priciest time to fly during the spring season. You can get better rates by flying at the very beginning of March or the very end of April. Going.com travel expert Katie Nastro also recommends flexibility since breaks and demand vary. So say, for example, your children's um, spring break is end of March, but, you know, an, a city sort of nearby an airport that you could sort of fly out of their school schedule is, say, a week or two later. You can actually sort of use that to your advantage. Nasser also says to look for best fares now. You want to just make sure you're doing yourself a favor and just circling 21 days out from when you're looking to fly as your absolute book by date. And price out an itinerary with two one-way fares, maybe even on different airlines or to different nearby airports to see if it's cheaper than a round trip. And getting back to that eclipse travel, your larger cities along that path of totality like Dallas, San Antonio, Indianapolis are going to be the best bets for finding lower airfares and a better priced hotel rooms simply because they're used to hosting large scale events. And if you want to stay in New York State, head on up to Rochester. They're going to have three minutes and 38 seconds of total eclipse and also a three day festival to celebrate it. Joe. All right, Karen, we got into this, Karen, by saying air travel is flying high. And now we learn that American Airlines passengers can soon expect to see higher prices to check their bags. Please don't tell me that other airlines are going to follow Americans lead. 
Well, you know, Joe, when one airline does this, the others are less afraid to do it. So Americans stepping out here and saying they are raising the prices for checking a bag. That will go into effect for tickets booked today and onward. It's going to be $40 for customers who are checking their bag at the airport and stepping up to the counter. If you do it when you check in online, it'll be a little bit cheaper, $35, but still more expensive than the $30 that you were paying previously. Delta and United, as of right now, no plans to change their airfares. But Americans says this is the first time they've raised those baggage fees since 2018. They also said they're scaling back the fees for heavy baggage and oversized luggage. But, you know, airlines have gone through a lot, certainly. Since the end of the pandemic, they've had to hire more people. They're battling higher fuel costs. So this is one way they can get some of that money back. Stay tuned for what it means for summer travel, Joe. Yeah, exactly. All right, Karen, thanks for the heads up. Appreciate it. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, how about a live look outside? Meteorologist Jeff Smith, there it is, joins us with the exclusive AccuWeather forecast. What a nice picture. Jeff, we're two-thirds of the way through February. How does the end of the month look? Uh, Warmer. We have 60 degrees potentially in the forecast by the middle of next week. Heading into March. Keep that in mind. A little bonus forecast there beyond our seven-day. Here's a look outside right now. Clear skies, 33 degrees out there, feeling more like 29. We get a wind coming in around six miles per hour. So that's driving down your wind chill just enough. So it feels pretty chilly out there. But overall, the wind was fairly light today compared to what we saw over the weekend and even into yesterday. That high today, though, a few degrees below average. Uh, 40 was our high compared to a normal of 43. The record high on this date was 69, set way back in 1930. And more recently, nine years ago, can you believe 2015 was nine years ago? Well, it was. It got all the way down to two degrees on that date. Sun setting at 5.36 p.m. these days and rising about quarter before 7 in the morning. So next 12 hours looking like this. Temperatures falling down below freezing. And even in the city, we're into the upper 20s by early tomorrow morning. Something you may notice by later on uh, tonight into early tomorrow morning, little bit of an increase in the cloud cover and at times tomorrow it will be just downright mostly cloudy so nothing like the uh, you know not a single cloud in the sky type of days we had today and yesterday but a milder day tomorrow we'll get temperatures up closer to normal for this time of the year 35 at newark 33 at laguardia right now you're only 30 at jfk 31 at belmar 30 your number at morristown 28 at Sussex. Uh, That's your cold spot in the region right now. 30 on the east end of the island at Montauk. So overnight tonight, again, a little bit of cloud cover increase by early tomorrow morning. But initially you have the clear skies and nearly calm wind. So that will allow especially suburban areas to have good what we call radiational cooling. All that heat just escapes into space and you get numbers dipping down into the lower and middle teens in those areas. So tomorrow at times mostly cloudy. Other times we'll call it partly sunny. Highs getting into the lower 40s, so a little bit milder than what we had out there today. On Thursday, generally an even cloudier day out there, and there can be a stray shower or two north and west of New York City as we head into especially the latter part of Thursday afternoon. Might even be mixed in with a couple of wet snowflakes. Highest hills of northwestern New Jersey, Poconos, Catskills. That's with an initial little band of rain moving off to our north and west. And then the rest of our area gets involved in some steadier rainfall later Thursday night, especially into the day on Friday. One thing we see here, though, by 1 p.m. Friday, the back edge of the rain moving across the Delaware water gap. So that would imply that we can end that rainfall at some point Friday afternoon and dry things out by late in the day.
You're right, well, the forecast for tonight, chilly out there. A few clouds late. We're down into the lower and middle 20s in most suburbs. Teens in the coldest locations down to about 29 in Midtown. Partly sunny, a bit milder tomorrow. 43 for a high again with more clouds at times, courtesy of that east wind coming in 7 to 14 miles per hour, bringing in some moisture from the Atlantic Ocean. Partly cloudy skies tomorrow night. We're down to about 32. Here's your AccuWeather seven day forecast. More clouds on Thursday. Could be a shower or two in a couple of spots north and west of New York City late in the afternoon. That high getting up to 46. Rain overspreads the area Thursday night and especially into the day on Friday. Friday's kind of a breezy and rainy day. Still, though, the high managing to get up to 49. The rain ends and temperatures tumble. We're down to 29 Friday night. Back to blustery Saturday, 36. Could be a flurry or two around. And then we recover nicely, 43 Sunday, well into the 50s, Monday, Tuesday. And by next Wednesday, like I said, Joe, yeah. could be approaching the 60-degree mark. We'll send it back over to you. Marsh comes in like a lamb, yep. hopefully. All right, Jeff, right. thank you. That wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thanks for joining us. I'm Joe Torres. A reminder, Extra Time, by the way, is now a podcast. You can listen to this show as well as past shows all on the go. Search Extra Time at ABC7NY or wherever you stream your podcasts. We are back live for Eyewitness News at 11 o'clock. We hope to see you then. Have a great night.